Well, good morning, church. I am so glad to be here. And I heard that y'all are the rowdy crowd. Is that true? Yeah, because I tell you, it's so hard with mask on to like not be able to see your faces and your smiles or whatever. So I'm gonna need to hear from you. Let me just say that. Well, as Chad said, I'm Janice Albergati and I have the privilege of serving here as the missions director. Um, And I believe that this morning that God has something for each one of us. Whether you are here for the very first time or the hundredth or more, and whether you are just checking us out or whether you have made um, a commitment, you've, you've literally grown up here in the church. Well, you belong here and I'm glad that you're here. Would you pray with me as we get started this morning? Oh, Father, we just invite you to come this morning and move among us. God, we would ask that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to be able to receive what you have for us today. God, we pray that your word would not return void, but it would accomplish the purpose for which you've sent it. And God, I pray that you would take my words and make them yours, that um, you would just let me hide behind you, Jesus. So um, we offer this time to you, God, and we ask that you would bless it for your kingdom's mission and purpose. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we're going to be continuing our series called Outside the Box. It's been pretty awesome, hasn't it? And um, I'm just going to give you a quick re- review in case you missed it. You weren't able to join us the first couple of weeks, but week one, Pastor Chad, he taught us that the Spirit of God is moved from the temple to the people through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And last week, Pastor Jeff was on fire as he called us to live in the power of that spirit and be go and tell people, to go and tell the good news of the gospel to the world around us. And so today, we're gonna turn our attention to who it is that God used to launch this new kingdom movement and how they lived with an aim of seeing how God really is calling each one of us here today or online to um, step out, outside the box, to join him in what he's doing. Well, the opening pages of the book of Acts show us who God used to launch his movement um, that we call the church. And on their opening Sunday, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. At their second public hearing, over 5,000 were added to their number. And six months later, there were as many as 100,000 new Christians in the city of Jerusalem. And when you realize the magnitude of what happened through this group of people, it raises a question. What was it about them that enabled them to be so mightily used of God? This was a ragtag bunch of nobodies. Nobody knew their name, nobody knew their platform, nobody knew where they'd come from, and yet history records that they were used by God to literally change the world, to turn it upside down. They became a fellowship of believers that lived outside the box in their culture, creating a new culture, one that takes on a clear identity as these Christians commit themselves not to a me focus, but a we focus. They saw their common life together as a priority, not just a possibility. 
And I just want to share with you briefly a little bit about the story of me and my family. We've been here about 17 years here at Mount Horeb, and we moved here from Raleigh, North Carolina. I went to school to be a nurse. I worked as a pediatric ICU nurse and felt the Lord calling me to quit my job, which was really stressful because I wasn't sure how we were going to pay our bills. Uh, My husband was a great provider, but his job actually took him away most of the week. He traveled a lot, and so I I was a stay-at-home mom Monday through Friday and then worked weekends. And I felt through the word that God was convicting me that we needed to be in church, that we didn't need to just be observers that popped in every now and then, but that we really needed to participate. We needed to get involved. We need to be part of the body. And so I quit my job. And God provided for us as, he, as, as we know that he often does. And, and we found a, a church and we decided to join and our kids were baptized. And we were just starting to get involved, involved there when um, my husband was transferred back to South Carolina. And so we prayed as a family and we said, God, we are asking you to help us find a church home. A church home, and actually the Lord found us a church home before we found a literal home, a house to live in. We came to Mount Horeb with friends who we were staying with while we were house hunting, and um, we kind of in our mind knew what we were looking for. We wanted a church that taught the Word of God. We wanted a church that lifted the name of Jesus high. We wanted a church that had opportunities for fellowship for all of us, for adults, for our kids and students. And we also wanted a church that provided opportunities for us to serve, for us to use our gifting in some way within the local body. And I'm telling you, we came Mount Horeb one Sunday and we walked out and we all kind of looked at each other and said, we are home. We are home. We found all of those things in this church 17 years ago. And I got to say, it's only gotten better. It's only gotten better. And it is a true privilege and an honor to be here with you all today um, as the missions director because this is a church that isn't just inward focused. It's a church that's, that, that, that takes care of, of the members. It's a church that has um, a, a, a focus on Jesus and who he is and what he's teaching. But it's a church that's also focused outward which is why I have a job. So that's pretty awesome, right? So um, if you will, open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts. Um, I'm gonna give you a quick summary while while you're turning there. We're gonna be in chapter two together this morning. Um, But Acts opens with Jesus preparing to ascend from earth after his resurrection and return to the Father. And he said that this had to happen in order for the promised Holy Spirit to come. So he told his disciples who were gathered, they numbered about 120 at the time. He said, you wait in Jerusalem. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses from here in Jerusalem to everywhere across the globe. Well, on Pentecost Sunday, Acts chapter 2, it happened. Just like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples and they were able to, um, to receive the Spirit and then speak boldly about Jesus. Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon pointing to Jesus as Lord and King. And that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to commit to following Jesus. So they went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. And here Luke, the author of Acts, sketches for us a picture of this first church. What we'll see is that these new believers from diverse cultures 
immediately began devoting themselves to one another. Something transformational had happened when the Spirit of God indwelt them. So if you'll turn to Acts 2, I'm going to start with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, the gospel had transformed how they viewed their possessions, their time, their identity. They had new horizons of the possible and the impossible. And we will see that they had three different postures towards this new life in Christ. An inward one, an upward one, and an outward one. They were new people with a new devotion and a new community. They had received the power that Jesus promised and the power of the Spirit enabled them to live as a covenant community with bonds to one another through Christ. The Spirit of Christ literally created a new community committed to living a different way, a life that's marked by unity and devotion. And we, when we look at the text, we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and breaking of bread, into prayers. So we're going to look first at at, at this teaching that they devoted themselves to. Um, The apostles' teaching would most certainly have been about the life, ministry, and teaching of Jesus. We see in the sermon that Peter preached that he talked about the good news concerning Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation as Lord. But there's still a little bit more that's going on here. Then first meets the eye. You see, these faithful Jews were to be devoted to Moses' teaching, which is found in what is now our Old Testament. And so by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the early church understood that they were under a new authority, the authority of Jesus, the Messiah King. And the apostles' teaching was really nothing other than all of Scripture that's now interpreted through the lens and the life of Jesus. And this is after all how Jesus saw himself and viewed scripture because we know that when the risen Lord on that first Easter afternoon walked with some Christians to the village of Emmaus, he taught the Old Testament. Luke tells us in chapter 24 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. But here's what I want you to see with me. The apostles were eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Christ. They walked with him. They saw him do miracles. They saw how he loved. They saw how he served. They they witnessed his, his death, his sacrificial death on a cross and his resurrection. They were eyewitnesses. They knew the Old Testament as Jewish people. They lived with Jesus. They saw what Jesus was doing this new movement, this, 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 this new kingdom movement that he was bringing. 
And I can only imagine the excitement that they had. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like all the light bulbs went off and they were able to connect Jesus's story to the Old Testament. And I imagine them teaching this group of new believers with such passion and such energy and such conviction that they would have just been leaning in, just leaning in, listening. See, they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to the word of God. Jesus in the flesh takes on flesh and he launches a new kingdom. And in this new kingdom, he launches a new command as well. Now, Matthew 22, in in this text, Jesus is questioned by the religious leaders of the days. And they're asking him, what is the greatest of the commandments that's in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this complicated law of Moses has now been simplified by Jesus. Love God, love others. Well, then in John chapter 13, we see Jesus breaks it down a little bit more. He had just washed his disciples' feet. He'd he'd shared the last supper with them where he said, my body will be broken for you. My blood will be shared for you for, for the forgiveness and the salvation of the world. And then he says to them, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. See, this new, this new command was simple, but it was anything but simplistic because you have to ask yourself the question, well, how did Jesus love? What did his love look like? What did his love accomplish? And I think if we look at the love in the life of Jesus, we see that it was defined by service, by suffering, by sacrifice. He he served and sacrificed and loved to his very death. He left the privilege privilege of heaven. He humbled himself. He took on flesh. He walked in a broken world. He healed the sick. He, He proclaimed forgiveness of sins and he offered a relationship with him. He entered into our story so that we could enter into his. So the marching orders for those in this new movement is really summed up in four letters, L-O-V-E. This one thing is to serve as the filter for everything else. It's one thing, love. And we should constantly be asking ourselves, in this particular situation or with this particular person, what does love require of me? What does love require of me when I'm confronted with injustice? What does love require of me when I'm confronted with unreached lost people? What does love require of me when I'm in the midst of conflict or or suffering or brokenness? You see, our, our focus turns in this, in this posture from what can God and the church and other people do for me to what can I do for them? This is revolutionary. This early church, they loved each other. They loved those around them who weren't yet a part of their community. They loved people who didn't think like them, worship like them, or act like them. These crazy Christians loved everybody. And people were added to their numbers daily leaving their old way of life to join this new movement. It was defined by love. 
Well, we also see that they devoted themselves to fellowship. They invested in each other. The text says that they sold their possessions and goods and gave them to anyone that had need. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were drawn together by a shared allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Their life of sacrifice from one another, it was unique. It was different from the culture around them. They belonged to each other, just as we belong to each other. Paul writes in Romans 12, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to the others. We're brothers and sisters. We belong to each other. And if you're in Christ, if you've committed your life to follow Jesus, then you are part of his body, the church. You've been gifted by God to play a specific role in the church. And let me just tell you, if you're not engaged, the body is missing something. If you're not engaged, you're missing something because we're not called to be spectators. We're called to be participants of this beautiful, messy, living body called the church. I gotta be honest, sometimes our contemporary Christian um, congregations in the United States don't live the way that we see this early church live. I've been so convicted by this particular part of the message all week long because modern society pushes us in the opposite direction to worship individualism. Western society is constructed as if I is at the center of everything and self becomes an idol. And without even realizing it, we can make the baseline for life, the trinity of me, myself, and I. It becomes about my rights, my preferences, my wants, my hopes, my dreams. All of this comes first. And I think social media is absolutely reinforcing this, right? But life that places the self solely at the center ultimately becomes self-destructive. God's saving work always is moving toward creating a faithful community of people that reflects his love. Christian faith is deeply personal, don't get me wrong. It draws the person into a saving, transforming relationship with God through Christ. But Christian faith is never individualistic. That's where we've gotten confused. That's where we've gotten confused. We've allowed society's idolatry of the individual to influence and distort even our understanding of the gospel. Our personal relationship with God must be expressed and experienced through belonging to God's people. And unfortunately, we can even fall into the trap of assuming that the church is really all about our individual fulfillment. We talk about what I got out of the sermon or whether I liked the music we sang today. When we're talking about joining a church, we call it church shopping, right? It becomes another consumer activity with the goal of self-gratification. becomes about what the church can do for me, not what I can do for the church. And, and listen, I get that we are in a pandemic, hopefully coming out of it to the end, and that the most loving thing that we could do, what love required of us, is that we social distance, is that we shelter in place for a season, is that we wear masks to protect each other. 
That's our loving response. So how do we have fellowship? What does it look like to have fellowship in the midst of a global pandemic? And I think this is where we have to start thinking outside the box. Now we can stand outside, socially distance, of course, and um, speak to one another after, after fellowship here, if you're here in the room. Introduce yourself to people, right? It's hard to see who people are with masks on. I'm constantly saying, uh, who are you? Which is an embarrassing thing, but I, I don't recognize people with masks on, right? That's okay. That's okay. And if you are part of our online community, I just want to say we're so glad that you're here. And I would encourage you to jump on that chat. Let people know that you're here. Have conversation with the host. I have the privilege of hosting some of those um, online services. And it is a gift to be with our online church. What an amazing thing. And I feel like what the Lord just showed me last night as I was praying about about this message was that God is doing this new thing. He's using technology to start satellite churches, satellite churches, branches of Mount Horeb outside of Lexington through our online church. We have people that are joining us from multiple states around the nation and also around the world. So Mount Horeb's DNA is spreading. This is exciting. This is really exciting. And I can't wait to see how God uses all of this for his kingdom. But we have what the early church didn't, and that's technology, cell phones, FaceTime, Zoom meetings, and we're using them for work and school. So let's use them for fellowship with each other until we can connect again safely face-to-face. Let's creatively respond to the needs of others by offering relationships, connection, friendship, and love. This is what the early church did, and it changed the world. So we looked at um, the first posture, which was the inward posture. The second posture we wanna look at is the upward posture. This first church experienced God deeply, and they also experienced awe and wonder at God's work in the world, which led to frequent worship, It led to celebration, praising God. And the text says that they devoted themselves to prayer. It was a praying church. Acts 4 tells us that when all all of the believers were gathered together, that the place where they gathered was shaken, shaken. Now, I don't pretend to understand how prayer works. All I know is that prayer can and does shake things up. And Dr. Bill Balknight, who's teaching over in traditional, he said this, and I quote, God invented prayer as a special way for us to communicate with him. When we pray, we wield power from God. Indeed, there are some things God wants to do and can do more quickly and easily if we pray. Therefore, prayer should always be a first rather than a last resort. A couple of weeks ago in my, in my prayer time, I was convicted by God that even my prayer time had become focused on me, the things that I needed or, or the things that my immediate family needed. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please hear my heart on that. God wants us to talk to him about everything. But, but he convicted me that I needed to be um, also interceding for things that break his heart, like lost people, people who are far from him. Um, for unity in the church, for healing in our land. And so I switched my focus when I received that conviction and I began to pray that God would do a new thing in our community and bring lost people to himself. And I, and I went a step further and asked that we, 
this congregation here would be used by him to do that and that I personally would be. And that he would give me the opportunity that week to share the good news about Jesus's love with somebody who was far from God. That afternoon, God didn't wait long. That afternoon, the doorbell to the missions ministry house rang where my, where my office is. And standing outside was um, a young man. We'll call him John. And John was standing there sobbing. And he said, I really don't even know why I'm here um, other than I've heard this is a place that helps people. Praise God that we are known as a place that helps people, right? And he said, he went on to tell me some of his story and he said, Um, that his life was a mess, that he continually was hurting people that he cared about, that he was stuck in this cycle of just, of sin and hurting people and he didn't know how to get out and that he didn't know who to ask because everyone that he knew was in a gang and that the gangs kept trying to draw him in and get him to join them and to belong there and to party and do things that he knew just weren't right. And so I was able to just listen, listen to his story the whole time, praying, God, move God, move God, move God. You can move in his life, move God, move. And at the proper time, I was able to share a little bit of my story of, of, of how I had experienced some of those similar things at, 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 in life before Christ. And we were able to connect on that. And then I was able to introduce him to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And that day he began his journey towards Jesus was amazing. It was amazing. God in his infinite sovereignty has ordained that he moves in response to the prayers of his people. And I'm convinced that if you dig anywhere in the world where God is actively on the move, that you are going to find a remnant of people who are seeking the face of God for that place. If you look at, if you look at history, you see it over and over and over and over again. I just want to let you know that this is a prayer-driven church. You are a part of a prayer-driven church. There are groups that come together and pray on Tuesday, on Thursday, on Friday. And these are just the ones I know about. I'm sure that there are other groups that are praying. Our small groups pray. And we pray here. But I want to invite you to become a prayer-driven person. To make prayer your first priority, not your last And let's pray big prayers. Let's pray that God uses us as the people of God here at Mount Horeb to transform the community that we live in. So we've looked at an inward posture, an upward posture, and now we're gonna turn our focus to the early church's outward focus. Verse 47 says that they enjoyed the favor of the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, we're called to create new possibilities for our neighbors, possibilities that include belonging to the body of Christ, being loved, being listened to, being seen, being served and saved by God's grace. We are marked by the kind of service and love that transforms the world. But the culture around us is telling us to look out for number one. So we have to be on our guard. We have to be on our guard that gates and fences and garage doors don't protect us from the very people that we are called to serve. That we don't let these things put barriers in relationships. Let's get to know our neighbors. Let's get to know them. Let's 
Let's sacrificially share our possessions and our meals. Let's, let's be a home where people can come without appointment or invitation. And let's ask the question with this outward focus, what does love require of me, of us? And I believe it requires that we reorient how we live so that we're turning from a me focus to a we focus. It requires giving up the human quest to make a name for ourselves and to begin making a name for Jesus. It requires a commitment to see and love our neighbors as image bearers of God with sacred worth. This type of community changed the world 2,000 years ago, and it's still changing the world today, and we are a part of it. We are caught up in this beautiful movement because, you see, the church is not a building. The church is a movement, and we've been invited to join it. I want you to leave here today encouraged because this church, this body, has answered that question, what does love require of me in some really creative, out-of-the-box ways already? And I just want to share with you a few stories of some of the ways that God is on the move through the people here at Mount Horeb. There's a group of volunteers that we call allies who are committed to building friendships with people who are doing the really hard, courageous work of moving from material poverty to financial self-sufficiency. And these allies are leveraging the influence and power that God has given them to invest in those who are less powerful than they are, to level the mountains and raise the valleys that that separate the haves from the have-nots, to break the chains that are keeping people trapped in generational poverty. There are families in this church that are donating their vehicles in order to provide safe, reliable transportation for single moms who are raising kids and trying to work but can't afford to purchase a vehicle of their own. There are builders and volunteers who are donating goods and services and time to provide affordable housing for folks here in our local community in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. In 2020, we, we as a church, completed two homes and two families now have a new future. The horizon of what is possible was moved for them. They are now homeowners. And we're gonna start the next, um, the next group of builds here, hopefully in April. And we'll build, we will build three houses in the spring of this year. We have a 1010 Bridge after school ministry that supports and loves on families in our community, many of whom have experienced some type of family trauma or face some some unique opportunities in their lives. And this week, um, the director, Ellen Stewart, shared with me a story about a new student that we received. Um, This new student um, lost her father six months ago when he was killed in a drug-related murder. She was removed from her home just a month ago because of drugs in the home and, and was sent to live with some extended family members who have a connection with 1010 Bridge. And so she, she joined our 1010 Bridge program. After coming for one week, when she was questioned about how her experience was, she said, this is what heaven 
must be like. Mm. This is what heaven must be like. Being surrounded by Jesus loving, Jesus serving, Jesus just full of Jesus oozing on them. I like to call, I like to call people that serve in bridge, they just ooze Jesus, right? Because they love Jesus so much and it pours out onto the children. And she experienced that. What heaven must be like. There's a family who chose to use their land to feed the hungry and to provide fresh produce for those in our community that can't afford it. The reason that the man, John, that I mentioned earlier knew to come here, that this was a place that helped people is because he was in the car with the family when they came to pick up produce this summer. So, so, so this food, this fresh food that was offered in the name of Jesus is what actually led him to Jesus. See how that works? They're connected. There's business owners that are offering internships to, to folks who are just entering the job market to give them skills. There's folks building ramps for, for the mobility impaired. There's a female business owner that learned that women coming out of the county jail often go back to the life that ended up putting them there to start with because they have no other options, no other possibilities. And so she hires them in her business. She allows them to have work that is work that dignifies them as image bearers of sacred worth. It's beautiful. And this isn't just happening here within our congregation here, but it's happening with the partners that we support globally in India, in Nepal, in Liberia, just to name a few. But in these countries, the pandemic didn't stop them from being the hands and feet of Jesus to loving their neighbor, to asking what does love require of us in this moment? And so they saved lives as they went and delivered food to people who literally were starving to death because they could not get to the food source. They had no money because they had no job because they were in lockdown. And so our partners, risking their own lives, fed them. And when questioned as to why they did this, their answer, we serve a resurrected Savior, so we're not afraid of death. Oh. In one location, only 450 new believers gave their life to Christ as a result of the testimony of our partners in India. Because of the generosity of you all, of this church, and because of your willingness to be outward focused, we were able to partner with these partners that I just mentioned and provide resources that enabled them to greatly multiply the food and, the, and the, the supplies that they were giving to people so that they could extend their reach in Jesus' name. God's way of reaching and restoring the world has always been through love, through his people that ask the question, what does love require of me? And then step out, out of the box, outside the box, to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus in a lost and hurting world blessing, serving, loving others deeply in the way that God intended from the beginning. Before Jesus ascended, he said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. Sending us to bless the world, to love the world. I want you to imagine with me a world where every Christian was engaged in the body of Christ, the church, and lived 
like Jesus. Imagine a world where living as an image bearer of God changed the way we saw ourselves and others. Imagine a world where Christians throw the best parties in town and are the go-to people for the big problems and issues. Imagine if the children in the neighborhood knew that the Christians were safe people to ask for help when unthinkable agony canvassed their private lives. Imagine a world where every Christian knew by name someone who lived in poverty or prison felt tied to them and their future and lived differently because of it. Imagine a world where the fruit of repentance and the practice of hospitality defines the reputations of Christians for those who don't yet believe. Imagine a world where people take the night back in prayer. Imagine a world where you know the names of your neighbors and you eat with them, praying for the children in the neighborhood and lending a hand before you're asked. Imagine a world where the lonely are no longer lonely because they never have to suffer alone. And imagine a world where the power of the gospel to change lives is ours to behold. So what's it going to take for this imaginary world to become the reality that we live in? I think think what it's gonna take is an inward, upward, and outward posture, but I also think it's gonna take one more. A posture of God's people, the church, bowed low before our holy God, acknowledging our desperate need for Him, asking Him to fill our hearts with His Spirit, to transform the way we see the world, to take us from being me-focused to we-focused. It's gonna take us to ask that question, what does love require of me, and then act on it not just ask the question, but put it into action. And I was really, I've, I've, I've struggled with this message. I've been convicted over and over and over and over again of ways that I am not living obediently. Ways that individualism has crept into my heart. I was convicted that I haven't always loved you, the church, as God desires for me to. And so I think where I want us to end today is just in this posture of humility before each other and before the Lord, asking Him through His grace and power to do something new, to do something in us so He can do something through us. So I'm gonna invite you, if you're able and willing, would you bow with me just right in front of your seat? And we're gonna go to the Lord in prayer. Most holy God, we bow before your throne of grace, acknowledging that you are good. You are Lord. You are a way maker. You are on the move and you've invited us to join you. And Father, we just want to confess to you, we've not always been an obedient church. We've not always loved our neighbors ourselves. We've not always loved each other as you would have us to. We've allowed division at times to creep in. We've allowed individualism to harden our hearts and turn us from you. 
Father, today we surrender ourselves before you and we ask that you would do a new work in us, that it would begin with me, that each one of us would ask that it begins with us, that we would be faithful, faithful participants in your movement, a movement that we are convinced is gonna change the world. So fill us with your spirit. Keep us tied to you through the bonds of love and send us out to change the world around us. We pray all this in the loving, powerful, life-giving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.